0: Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. I'm Stephanie Safarian, and this is episode 87.
1: You are listening to the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a show about living simply and sustainably with your family. Here's your host, Stephanie Safarian.
0: Hello there, and thank you for joining me. It's no surprise that direct experience with a natural disaster is found to cause sudden and severe consequences to mental health. After Hurricane Katrina, for example, residents reported elevated rates of post-traumatic stress disorder much higher than the normal population. No surprise there. But what about the less severe but long, slow burn of being aware of climate change but feeling powerless to change its course. Is that long, slow burn even a thing? Psychologists say, yes, it is a thing, and they've even coined a term to describe it. Now, eco-anxiety manifests itself in feelings of anger, fear, powerlessness, or exhaustion, and due to the fact that it's chronic by nature, it can have lasting impacts on mental health. My guest this week is Laura Durenberger. Laura is a fellow blogger who has been on the show quite a few times, so maybe you recognize her name. She's here today to call attention to eco-anxiety as well as offer up some strategies for managing it that are rooted in both research as well as her unique personal experience. Now, you can find this week's show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 087. That's M-A-M-A-minimalist.com forward slash 087. And let's get right into the interview. Enjoy. Laura, thank you so much for joining me for a fourth time. I went back through my old episodes and I noticed that this is lucky number four you've been on the show. I'm so excited. You're the only guest who's been on four times. Uh, How are you doing?
1: Well, thanks for having me back for a fourth time. I'm super excited to be here.
0: The last time I talked to you, it was winter. It was December for my 50th episode. And I'd love to know what you've been up to professionally since then. I know that your blog has kind of pivoted almost. You've been talking a lot more about anxiety. And we are going to talk about that today. But tell us where your blog is at today and and what you're writing about.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, I, so I've so i had anxiety my whole life and it really escalated after my son was born almost four years ago now um, into a whole new anxious territory. And that's really actually how my blog got started was kind of as an accountability into incorporating mindfulness and intentional living because I was trying to find ways uh, to be more proactive about managing my anxiety through mindfulness and decluttering and that leading into a reduction mindset kind of led me into zero waste living and, and all sorts of stuff like that. Last year, I the first part of the year, I was dealing with some health issues and my anxiety took an all time low, it was a really rough first six months. Um, and a lot of the things that I was experiencing were new for me. And it You know, if those of you who've had anxiety may be able to relate to the fact that the anxiety likes to tell you that you're the only person who could possibly be experiencing this. And it's a really isolating feeling. So, at the start of this year, I decided to start a series on my blog called Anxiety Stories. Basically, I just interview people that are willing to share their anxiety experience, what it looks like for them, how it started things that have helped them. And it just was a way for me as a person who deals with anxiety, and also for others to show that it's so, so common. And the things that people and myself experience are so common. It's, you know, it's, it's, I almost have to kind of laugh, not in a funny way, but just, you know, that I, I, I honestly thought I was alone for so long. So, You know, a lot of the things that I was talking about anyway, I could relate back to the anxiety. And again, a mindset around reducing kind of plays into anxiety. And that was where my direction was going, was just trying to reduce my outside stimulus so that I could get to a place where I could really hone in on being proactive about managing my anxiety. So that's kind of the transition.
0: I know for me and my blog and podcast Both the blog and the podcast are ways for me to kind of reach out and meet, virtually meet, like-minded people who have the same concerns, the same troubles, the same struggles as I do with regard to minimalism and low-waste living. And it's really helped me. I'm wondering if talking about anxiety and giving others a platform to talk about their anxiety has also helped you and your journey.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like just the fact knowing that the things that I was experiencing when I was really deep in my anxiety, you know, knowing that I was not the only person to experience this. And not only that, but that it's actually pretty common. When I look back at the stories that I've put on my blog from other people, you know, so many similarities in the symptoms and, and what people experience. And it it's, it's hard because I just want to scream like, Hey, this is normal, you know, but there's still the, the whole stigma around it. So it's really helped me feel more confident in my anxiety. That's kind of a weird way to say it, but just like, it doesn't give it as much power, I guess, when I, when I get, start getting really anxious about something. So that's helped me tremendously.
0: Well, we are going to talk about anxiety today. (laughs) And we're going to talk about anxiety as it relates to the state of our planet. You differentiate on your blog between eco anxiety and eco guilt, and let's just start off with eco anxiety. How would you define that?
1: Sure. So I think you probably guess what you know what the definition would be. It's it's basically just the fear of the future of our planet. Uh, you know, there's been A couple of pretty daunting uh, research and reports that have come out in the last year. And what is going to happen? What is our planet going to look like? Will we be able to turn things around in time? All those thoughts stem from eco-anxiety. So eco-anxiety is more common than I think people realize. The term has been around for about 10 years, but it's just starting to... Become more and more prevalent within the last few years. Um, And it's even become an official mental health condition by the American Psychological Association. So if you're experiencing eco anxiety, you know, it is a real condition.
0: I know for me personally, once I had my first daughter, my anxiety in general heightened because I had a human to take care of and keep alive. But specifically, my eco anxiety rose through the roof because now I'm not just living on this planet for me, but I need to do my small part to create a planet that's going to support my daughter, who hopefully, God willing, lives longer than I do. As climate change and as climate catastrophe, as I like to call it, gets closer and looms closer over our heads, I'm wondering whether there's been any research into how the next generation kids really are handling the unknown as it pertains to our planet.
1: Yeah, so the generation or the age group of adults that are most affected by eco-anxiety are millennials, which is age 18 to 34. But there's also a lot of research starting to come out about kids uh, experiencing eco-anxiety. As young as know 9 10 11 or so and uh, I just saw an article about the show Big Little Lies on HBO it's season two and one of the the kids in the show fainted at school because she was having a bout of eco-anxiety so not only are people realizing that kids are starting to be really affected by this it's also starting to become mainstream
0: you differentiate between eco-anxiety and eco-guilt. What on earth is eco-guilt?
1: So eco-guilt is the feeling that you get when you maybe could have done something different, but for whatever reason, whether that the reason was in your control or not, you weren't able to, and then you feel guilty about it. So for example, say that, you know, I just read a really, really big article about, uh, food waste and food in a landfill, and how it doesn't break down like we kind of assume that it does. Um, instead, it breaks down really slowly. Releases methane, et cetera, et cetera. So the next time I have food that I need, you know, I'm going to throw away for whatever reason. If I can't compost it, uh, I get this feeling of guilt that I'm throwing it into the la- you know, to the landfill. That would be an example of eco guilt. Um, The reason why I wanted to differentiate the eco-guilt from the eco-anxiety and let people know that these two things are very real and what they're experiencing is because eco-guilt can lead to something further, eco-shame. I don't know if you're familiar with Brene Brown at all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's... She's like so quotable. (laughs) Yeah, right. So she talks a lot about the difference between guilt and shame. And when you start getting into shame territory, that can be pretty damaging because at that point, you're thinking of yourself as a bad person. And that can lead to even more down spiral and lack of motivation and and stuff like that. So again, that's kind of why I wanted to pull those two terms out. And differentiate them so that people can know what they're feeling.
0: I'm so happy you differentiated them. And I'm so happy you talked about the food waste thing because I was in the grocery store today and I had massive eco guilt when I realized that I didn't bring enough pillowcases to hold my produce and I had to use a plastic bag to take home some tomatoes. And For 99.9% of the population, I'm sure that taking a plastic bag wouldn't have been anything to get upset about or to be concerned about. But for me, taking a plastic bag in the supermarket gave me an immense amount of eco guilt. And I don't so much have a question. I more have just an observation that It's fascinating to me that some people like you and me, something as simple as taking a plastic bag creates a massive amount of eco guilt, but for everybody else, nobody else feels it. And I'm wondering, like, why is that? Is it because we care or is it because we know more and therefore we care? Or why is it that some people (laughs) are sidelined with eco anxiety and eco guilt and others just aren't?
1: Yeah, that's a good good point. I think you when you mention the knowledge and, and you know caring, I think that's a big part of it because we can't feel bad about something that we don't know about. So, you know, the more that we learn about the potential future of our planet, I think the the harder it gets to function in a society that is linear and made for waste.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely don't expect you to have. <laughs> like an answer to this <laughs> big a philosophical question. But for me, it's after doing this podcast for a year and a half now and having learned so much and having talked to so many people, it's almost as though I can't enjoy things that others can enjoy. For instance, getting takeout. I can't just get takeout and enjoy a night off from cooking anymore because the eco-guilt associated – with all those throwaway single-use containers just ruins it for me. Now, I know you have brought with you today some strategies to combat eco-anxiety and eco-guilt. And before we even get into them, I'm just wondering, are the strategies to deal with eco-anxiety and with eco-guilt similar to dealing with just generalized anxiety, or are they a little bit more specific?
1: Uh, I think these are a little more specific towards... The eco part uh, of anxiety, whereas the one thing that I've learned from the anxiety stories that I've I've read and you know looked at is that the anxiety symptoms can look the same in a lot of people across the board, but the resources and the tips uh, to help people kind of vary. And which I find really interesting. So these are more tailored, as I said, to like the environmental aspect of things. Okay, give me one. Okay, using that uh, anxiety as a motivator. I one thing that helped me in my in my generalized anxiety was to think of it as a type of energy. And so I like to think of it as taking that energy, and instead of just letting it fester, and you know, into obsessive thoughts or whatever it may be, I try to use that as a motivator. It's something that helps me is to volunteer with an organization that's doing environmental work. Um, if I can't volunteer, I'll just try to donate. Uh, whether that's money or some organizations will take um, actual you know physical goods, you can use that energy to research, candidates. Uh, we've got a big election coming up next year. So voting is another way. You can use that energy to research products or companies uh, that align with your environmental values. And so then you can vote with your dollars or you can choose not to vote with your dollars as well and not consume, uh, which is you know also important in low waste living.
0: I love what you said about taking that anxiety or taking that guilt or taking that just cruddy feeling, whatever it may be, and turning it into a motivator for better behavior in the future. I'm going back to my terrible, horrible, no good, very bad plastic bag at the supermarket today. And the feeling was just so terrible that I'm wondering if I could have wallowed less and instead planned more for the next time I go to the supermarket, which is probably like in two days, let's be honest, planning ahead so that there's absolutely no way that I'm going to take that bag and thus feel that cruddy again. So I love that. It's kind of like reframing the problem as a teachable moment. Give me another one.
1: So getting involved in your community is not only a great way to, again, redirect that energy, but it's also one step further in in a way helping yourself feel better. Uh, There's a ton of research out there about how, you know, volunteering or just paying it forward, doing a good deed uh, can boost your mood. And so, you know, for example, like if you use that plastic bag one that you mentioned, you know, maybe, you know, you use that, you're feeling guilty, you take that energy and maybe next time you bring a couple reusable bags if you have extra to, you know, the grocery store and leave them for somebody else. Or maybe you make a couple t-shirt bags um, and give them away to somebody on Facebook in your community or, you know, something like that where you're redirecting, but you're also taking it one step forward and inspiring somebody else. Getting involved in your community is such a great way to help with this stuff.
0: Hmm. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on, tuning into the news and staying abreast of current events. Because for me, I kind of pride myself on being in the know, I listen to NPR every morning as I make breakfast. And the news for me is a huge source of inco anxiety. I've asked myself before, should I just turn it off because it impacts me so greatly? Or should I continue to stay in the know, and hopefully use what I know to change. I'm wondering what what your thoughts are on that.
1: Yeah. So the news was and continues to be a huge source of not only eco-anxiety for me, but also it, it's pretty triggering for my generalized anxiety. So majorly cutting back on my news consumption was one of my care uh, methods for when I was dealing with some pretty intense generalized anxiety. And I know it's, extremely privileged thing to be able to turn off the news when you want to, but I also am torn between needing to protect your mental health in order to be the best version of you that you can. Um, so what I did what to find a happy medium was I started to be, try and become really intentional about the news that I was consuming and, and when and how much. So we don't have... TV channels in our house. So I don't, we don't watch the news on TV. I signed up for uh it's called The Skim, S-K-I-M-M. And it's a daily Monday through Friday news email that comes into your inbox. Uh, and it just highlights the main stories from around the world from the previous day or the weekend if it's a Monday. They always include a ton of extra links that if you wanted to learn more about the particular story, you could. So that really helped me just kind of get a quick glance of, you know, what was going on. So I didn't feel like I was not in the know at all, but just gave me enough that I, I could have a conversation or learn, learn more if I wanted to. The other thing I did was I unfollowed all news channels on social media, except for one, one local. And then I did BBC as like an international or national one. And so that way they don't show up in my newsfeed a lot. So I can be intentional about when I'm feeling like I'm in a good headspace during the day to, to then consume the news that I need to. So those things really helped me because uh, otherwise I was just, I just felt like I was in a constant state of anxiety and it was just getting to be too much for me.
0: I'm totally going to try unliking and unfollowing the the media outlets. You, you hit the nail on the head when you said you get to be intentional about when you consume the news as opposed to allowing the terrible headlines, unfiltered access into your life every time you sign on to social media. I love that. I'm going to try it and I'm going to report back. You mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that mindfulness is a tool that helps you. I'm wondering if you could talk more about that. And I know, or I'm guessing that you are an old pro at mindfulness. You've probably been practicing for a while now. But for the average listener who is feeling all sorts of eco-anxiety and or eco-guilt, and they hear the term mindfulness over and over again,
1: where do they start? You know, anxiety lives in the future or the past mindfulness is in the present. And so if you're feeling anxious, the best thing you can do is bring yourself back to the present. And I appreciate that you said that it's a practice because it absolutely is a practice. It took me a long time to get to a point where I can be proactive if I start noticing little, little, either little triggers or anxious symptoms for me to jump in and be like, hey, I need to get some mindfulness in me right now. Uh, which is a really weird way to say it, but um, if you know, people are out there and they try it and it, 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 you know, they get frustrated or whatever, just know that it, it is a practice. The thing that I like to do, which I, I like to do it for a number of reasons, it's easy to remember. You can do it anywhere, literally, um, and it's a really great tactic. You can do it for as long or as little as you need. I don't know what the official name is, but I call it the 54321 tip. So basically, anywhere that you are, sitting, standing, laying, stop for a moment, take a breath, and then you look for five things that you can see, four things that you can hear, three things that you can feel, two things that you can smell, and then one thing that you can taste. And that just immediately brings you back to your exact surroundings. And you can, again, just do it over and over as much as you need. I, If I'm feeling super anxious, I love doing it outside, on going for a quick walk or something, because then your scenery is changing and you're not only practicing the mindfulness, but you're getting the benefits of being out in nature or, or outside as well. So that's probably the easiest thing that I learned to do to practice mindfulness.
0: I love that. I've never heard that technique before. And it's amazing because... You don't have to be an old pro at mindfulness or meditation to do it. Anybody can do it. My five-year-old could do that. Before we close out today, I want to just circle back to something you said earlier, which was that children as young as 9 and 10 are reporting symptoms of eco-anxiety. What strategies do you have for parents to employ if they have children that are struggling with eco-anxiety?
1: supporting the kids, you know, I think just talking about it with them and letting them know that they're not alone in experiencing their anxiety over it. Um, don't downplay their anxiety because in reality, they're the ones that are going to have to be dealing with this climate catastrophe. And so I think that the fears that they are experiencing are super valid. I think or exposing them to youth that are making a difference. Um, of course, Greta Thornburg is one of the main ones that comes to mind, but I know there's other as well that are doing really great things for the climate movement. The other things would, you know, just grab them and have them join you in volunteering or donating or getting involved in the community and t- help them to, you know, move that, again, that anxiety energy into uh, motivation.
0: Laura, where can listeners find you online?
1: Um, So my blog is at The Mindful Mom Blografer, B-L-O-G-R-A-P-H-E-R. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, Pinterest at the Mindful Mom Blographer, and then I'm on Twitter at mindful b l o g h.
0: Well, I will absolutely link to all of your online presences in this week's show notes, and I just want to thank you so much for coming on and offering your insight with my listeners for the fourth time.
1: Thank you so much. I
0: so hope you enjoyed that interview with Laura Durenberger. If you missed something, if we went a little fast, just head on over to the show notes. Everything we talked about is there for you in written form. You can find them at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 087. On next week's show, I am giving you a monster list. And when I say monster, I really do mean monster. A monster list of all the eco-friendly habits that don't cost a single cent. I will see you then. Take care.